listening to She Rises, a podcast dedicated to women who are ready to stop settling and start living their lives by design. If you're ready to talk about the stuff that weighs you down and get practical advice on everything from your health, body image, spirituality, relationships, and personal growth, then you're in the right place. Hello, I'm Giovanna Caposa, your host, master coach, spiritual teacher, and mind-body expert, and I'm on a mission to unsettle women all over the world. Are you ready to rise? Hello and welcome back to another episode of She Rises. I'm your host, Giovanna Caposa, and I'm here today with special guest actress and playwright Tina Alexis Allen and author of the new audacious memoir called Hiding Out, a memoir of drugs, deception, and double lives. Imagine it, the moment many closeted young adults dread when your stern, devoutly Catholic father discovers you're gay. The youngest of three children, Tina Alexis Allen grew up in the 1980s suburban Maryland in a house ruled by her father, Sir John, an imposing British-born authoritarian who had been knighted by the Pope. Sir John supported his large family running a successful travel agency that specialized in religious tours to the Holy Land and the Vatican for pious Catholics. But his daughter, Tina, was no sweet, innocent Catholic girl. A smart-mouthed high school basketball prodigy, she harbored a painful secret she was attracted to girls. When Tina was 18, her father uncovered the truth about her sexuality. But instead of dragging her to confession or to the family priest, her father simply took her hand and said, I buried my lover, Omar, in the war, making Tina his unlikely confidant and creating a clandestine bond that would evolve into becoming a web of secrets and lies. This, my friends, is a taste of this amazing book by this amazing author and woman. I'm so excited for you guys to hear this show. And as always, travel on over to the show notes to get any links to the book, to Tina's website, and also to comment and continue the discussion. Hello, Tina. Welcome to the show. Thank you, Giovanna. I'm so happy to be here today with you. Thanks for having me. Absolutely. You know, we I mentioned before we started recording that I feel so honored that you brought the show, your story, and, and you're bringing your story to this audience. I think it is, I'm just, I'm breathless with the story. <laughs> I can't wait for people to actually hear it. Um, yeah. And so why don't we, let's just dive in. How does that sound? Yeah, perfect. Cool. So I would love for you to tell us your, you know, sometimes we start off with with the She Rises moment. And, Mm -hmm. you know, I know that every life probably has several moments of rising. But Mm -hmm. tell us a little bit about your story. And I mean, maybe it's kind of in the neighborhood of like, you know, why why the book? Why the memoir? So... Yeah. Um, that's, that's funny. Um, I was, we had, I had an event last night, um, uh, which had nothing directly to do with the book, but of course, you know, you end up talking about it because it's fairly new release. And, um, anyway, um, this was a question in the territory of something that came up. Why now? And, you know, I've worked on my autobiographical journey probably for, you know, 15 to 20 years now, when I became an actor at nearly 30, uh, I left a career in fashion and I basically walked away as a fashion executive in New York City, quite successful and decided to just, you know, I guess it's a she rises moment, frankly. (laughs) She rose from her desk. Mm. She literally walked out of the office 
and said, I'm done. Hallelujah. <laughs> yeah. And that's literally what happened, you know, on seventh Avenue in Manhattan back then. And I think the simple short version of that is that I had spent my life living in secrets and lies, you know, trauma in the childhood, you know, coming of age at lightning speed, which we'll get into. And is of course, part of my book hiding out is the, is this story. But in the midst of that, a mask grew thicker and thicker over myself, my face and otherwise. And I think that I had focused on obviously my scholastics, got an MBA. I was an athlete, went to college on a basketball scholarship. But by the time I was nearly 30, I had a lot of stuff, but I think I had avoided the inside and that mask was pretty thick. And I think that was my first big She Rises moment where I said, I'm going to walk away from this. I don't know what I'm going to do. I didn't actually know I was going to become an actor the moment I left my desk, but I did within the year explore the question, if I could be anything, what would I be? And I actually gave myself permission to answer that and ask it first, but answer it. And strangely, what came out of my mouth or into my head was I'd be an actor and I really hadn't had any exposure to that world. So I don't almost sometimes... I'm not able to quite put words on how or why, but my gut tells me, you know, nearly 20 years later that it probably had to do with the fact that I had not had time or permission in my life to focus on the inside. And as an actor, that is, you know, a very important thing that one knows that that themselves in order to play other people and share. So that began a process towards the book in the sense of starting to explore, write, perform solo shows about my own life that over the years have culminated in this, in this book, in this form. This is my first book. That's fantastic that that was your sort of foray or your entry point into doing this work was actually, because I mean, as an actor, you, you need to get to those vulnerable kind of gooey layers and there's, you got to do the work in order to be able to get there, right? Completely. And I was blessed with an incredible first acting coach who is still my acting coach. Um, Oprah Winfrey uses her too. Her name is Susan Batson. And she's, you know, just phenomenal. And, you know, what she's about, in fact, her book, her own book is called Truth. And it really is always for her about getting to the, the core, you know, of, of that character. And in my case, I had to start exploring myself as a character and finding out what I felt and I thought, and that got me opening up and starting to peel back that onion uh, to what's inside my book, which is big. Mm, It is big. So let's, (laughs) let's, yeah, Yeah. let's go there. Cause you also, you said a word earlier that I thought was just perfect, which you said masks. And I mean, so many of us have masks of shame or things that we're trying to hide. And your whole book is really like an unveiling and an uncovering of all of this. So I'd love for you to give us a, you know, a little synopsis of what the book is about and let's go there. Yeah. Yeah. Well, um, it's called hiding out and the subtitle is a memoir of drugs, deception and double lives. Deception and double lives definitely hits the mask uh, conversation on, on the head. Basically, I'm the youngest of 13 kids, and I grew up in a devoutly Catholic household. My dad was a Catholic travel agent, so everything in our life was the world of Catholicism and Catholic schools and all the rest. I was uh, sexualized really young, um, both 
by family members and also my middle school teacher. And so, as I mentioned earlier, I came of age at lightning speed and I was always aware it was happening. I was aware of, um, you know, it wasn't like anything I, oh, I had a revelation at 26 or something like I was always very conscious of what was happening, what had happened, um, no blocking out. But by the time I was 18, I had been with men and women. And so um, at the time I was dating a woman and I had a dinner with my dad. Uh, this is on the back cover, so I'm not going to give a spoiler here. Uh, <laughs> and that that um, that dinner basically uh, was with, with my secret girlfriend at the time. And um, I didn't like my dad very much. He wasn't always very nice to my mother or to us. He drank a lot and uh, he was just a difficult guy, frankly. And anyway, at this dinner, my dad turns to me and my partner at the time and said he knew that we were together. And I was so scared in that moment, I could still feel it now, that this was the person in my family of all people to find out. And I was really closeted across the board. So, you know, it was in the eighties, it was scary time still to be out. And anyway, then he really dropped a bomb and turned to us and said that he had buried his own lover in the war and that his name was Omar. And my life completely got turned upside down. And and that's like chapter two. (laughs) Yeah. And I just wanted to pause for a moment there because I mean, Probably the moment that so many closeted people fear the most is that moment where, you know, not in your own control, especially, you're outed. And now you said to the person that you sort of feared judgment from the most, and then to have him turn around and say, basically, like, me me too. Like, what what did you, what was your reaction in that moment? Oh, my God. (laughs) I was completely floored. I, I... I was just completely overwhelmed, nervous, terrified, and in a way, an exhilaration of, did I just hear what I thought I heard? That, that what you're expecting, you know, is to, you know, fall out of the sky and actually somebody just grabs you underneath your body and flies you in their arms across the sky instead. <laughs> you know wow, what I mean? Yeah. It was like, whoa, what? And then, you know, I think one of the biggest things that happened, and maybe not in that moment, but certainly I'm sure seeds of this were planted, is that he started to look different to me. You know, he wasn't, I was still scared of him. It didn't, that, you know, that sort of never totally went away. But the relationship, you know, turned, you know, 360 because I went from not liking him to now shit, you know, being his confidant, being the carrier of his secret from my mother, from my 12 siblings in the world that he was living, which, you know, was very pious seemingly and devout. And yet he had this obviously double life, hence the subtitle, uh, but lives. Then I start to learn there's another double life, which, which is really, um, we get, get into the heart of the book that there's more secrets and lies. Did you know in that moment, Tina, like, was it sort of this unspoken, you know, conspiracy of secrets in that moment? Or did you guys actually have a discussion where it was like, all right, we're just going to, no one's going to know about this. It's just me and you sort of thing. Like what happened? Yeah. yeah. I mean, um, without again, giving too much away, it's definitely, um, a situation where I think in that first moment, no, it wasn't spoken, but we get there we get to a lot of places. <laughs> yeah. We get to a lot of conversations and a whole lot of behavior 
you know, from clubs to, you know, flying the Concorde to Paris for the weekend. I mean, it gets, um, you know, traveling to Europe uh, and also the Middle East. And and then I start, as I said, to uncover other secrets by getting close to him and um, all under the, you know, the nose of, of my family, which which was made it super complicated and super tense in those situations, as you can imagine. You know, yeah. keeping secrets is tense anyway. We all know that. Everyone has secrets that they've kept of all kinds. It's it's not about sexuality. It, it's it's about masks and mm-hmm. hiding and the pressure of not being fully who you are, which I know is a universal thing. It is, yeah. And so, of course, we can't give too much away from the book, but you and your father really do start like this double life together. You start having experiences together and, you know, bonding in this sort of really unusual way. (laughs) Yeah, very unusual. Right? (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. Well, I was on Megyn Kelly and she said, you know, I was flying back from Russia uh, having interviewed Putin and I was going to be on the show like a day or two later. And so she was diving into my book. She said, you know, I was thinking I'd just, you know, kind of do what she probably has to do a lot, which is, you know, skip over some parts and, you know, get the gist of it because she's got a hundred thousand books to read and all of that, as we know. But she said, I opened opened your book and I read it cover to cover and just literally couldn't and put it down. And I think, you know, much of that is, this is a story that is very unusual, that father-daughter story is always intriguing and and generally heartfelt and often complicated and many things that we, we all know. But I think this kind of bonding is quite foreign and intriguing. And then all the other Vatican stuff that starts to pop up, you know, makes it kind of a can't put down. So yeah, I think, I think people are generally like, you know, oh my God, <laughs> like how did you manage to walk that um, tightrope and that tightrope and that tightrope and that tightrope, which is a lot of what the book is very mm-hmm. edgy. How did this affect your relationship with like your mother or other members of the family you had so many siblings? Yeah. So initially, um, of course, I think I, do you mean in, I just want to be clear, or do you mean in the, as it was happening? Yeah. Because, you know, you're having this interesting like bond with your father and you're having to keep all of these sort of secrets and, you know, we'll get there in a minute, but you get deeper uncovering of secrets. So did it change how you related to your mother, like your relationship with her or your siblings, or was it sort of just, you know, carry on as usual and maybe they just noticed you and dad were a bit closer? Um, I think for me, you know, what I know is that it was eventually, it, it was difficult for me with my mom because as much as I loved now having a dad, a dad I didn't have before this revelation, meaning I wasn't close to him. I I don't know if he really liked me. He was traveling constantly. As I say, he wasn't always uh, kind, quite the opposite at home. I, of course, understand now some of the frustration. Mm-hmm. He was a man of his time doing you know the best he could. Of course, we all can do better. But the point is that knowing this new side of him also then put some distance with me and my mom, because now, you know, when you're keeping a secret, whatever it is, there's no way to have the same intimacy that you once had, because you're constantly aware of, I better not go there, or I shouldn't say that, or I'm lying. You know, I'm asked the question, I'm actually lying. So I think all the lies in some ways 
are the biggest price we pay when we keep secrets. And certainly I was paying some of those prices with relationships. Um, I think my siblings certainly noticed. And of course my mother did. It was like, why, you know, my dad sometimes would have sort of, you know, flavors of the year. <laughs> so you could come in, in his favor and then go out. And there's so many people that, you know, that wasn't uncommon, but the fact that it went on for years, I think started to turn heads in my family. Like what's up with you and dad, you know, like, and then he'd send me off here or we'd travel together and I was the one he chose to travel here with or there with. So, yeah, it, it definitely created a little bit of tension, I think, eventually, and a lot of fear of being found out. And this goes deeper still. I mean, we don't want to give, I mean, for everyone that's so listening, <laughs> everyone yes. that's listening, like we're trying so carefully not to give stuff away, but you really, really need to get this book. Uh, it is on Amazon. We'll put the link to Tina's website and the book in the show notes. So make sure you go there and, and grab those. But where you can take us, because your father, you know, I, I was going to say he wasn't just a regular Catholic, you know, I grew up Catholic too, but he was knighted by the Pope. Yes. He was, you know, pretty in the high echelons of the faith. Yes. And yeah. tell us about when you started noticing, you know, there's more secrets going on here than what's been apparent yeah. to you. Well, one thing that used to come up kind of generally in the family, and it was, you know, maybe at the dining room table as we were a little bit older, and my dad, of course, was traveling nonstop uh, always, but would be questions like, mom, where do you think all the money comes from? You know, it's like 13 kids, Chevy Chase, uh, which is a very uh, affluent suburb of Washington, D.C., you know, swimming pool, family trips, Catholic schools. It's a lot of money. And uh, a Catholic travel agent, you know, it's fine living. It's his, it was his business. But still, it was like, so th I think I think there was a general sense of like and, and, you know, there was musing here and there, but then it would just go away. It was like, you know, another conversation would start up. So that was always sort of back there. But as I got close to him and I was now I started to work for him in the summers in college and uh, I started obviously traveling with him and I started to see things. I started to see money and I started I mean, he always was. He was a guy who walked around with a lot of cash always. And I started to see things, which I do reveal in the book, a sort of process of as I got closer and closer to him and he had connections to the Vatican that were like, why, you know, knighted by the Pope, even that. But then beyond that, it's like, why is he always in Rome? Why is he always having meetings with this particular archbishop? You know what? He's, he's not planning tours. And in the book, what I do um, explore as well is I do jump time at the end a bit. And I, I talk about this in more detail and what I found out as an adult, because uh, I certainly don't find out everything when I'm young, but I find out a lot. And one of the things that I'll just share is that my dad was in Russia, which I came to find out in the 50s. He was traveling to Russia and to Yugoslavia. And of course, no one, no American, no, no Joe in America was traveling to Russia in the late 50s. You know, it was the, the heart of the Cold okay. War and um, there was a lot of tension and, you know, just people were nobody went. And so there's things like that um, that I do discover and explore. And it starts to I start to put the pieces together that this this double life I'm aware of as a as a homosexual, active homosexual man is just the tip of the iceberg. And, you know, you said you there wasn't some of it you sort of started noticing when you were younger. 
mm-hmm. but pieces of it you're noticing in adulthood. I'm yeah. I'm so curious, like having come also from a Catholic family and how you know, tight knit that is. Yeah. You know, what's happening with the rest of your family? And are you, are you filling in your siblings and going like, holy crap, I just found this stuff out about dad? Or are you confronting your father with this? Or how is that all playing out? Well, much of this has happened. He's been gone now for, um, what, maybe close to 10 years now, um, eight years, something like that. So you're anyway, finding this out after? Yes, yes. Okay. Um, so there wasn't anything like that, but it, but yes, more more recently, and certainly in the context of the book and writing the book, I really went after trying to get at even more truth, like uh, because I I discover a lot in the book, but there's also things that are still to be uncovered, and the Vatican has an interesting policy, if you will. <laughs> uh, we, we've all heard of the secret archives, which is basically the the archives that the church keeps on everything. And if you're a scholar, you can request permission to go and and study and look at what's there. You can't take anything out. What the church does is for each papacy, it waits until that particular pope has died about, I think it's close to 80 years before any papers of any kind relating to that papacy is released into the secret archives. Now, to me, it's pretty clear, you know, they want to make sure everyone's long gone and probably the next generation after that. So they're waiting nearly 80 years after a pope dies before releasing any information about that pope's reign and anything to do with that pope prior to that, et cetera, et cetera. So for me to get to my dad's information should it be in the secret archives. I'm still waiting for the papacy, which he probably was involved with to start, which is, I believe, Pius Twelfth, which is way back in the 50s, to even be released to see if there may be. And I'd have to get permission <laughs> to even go in there, which, of course, I want to do. So there's still much. There's another book out there. <laughs> oh, my gosh. To be written. There's yeah, so another book. And that's so yeah. funny because I actually just watched a documentary, I think a couple weekends ago on Pope Pius. Um, oh, interesting. Yeah. yeah. Fascinating. Fascinating. And some, yeah. some shady, shady dealings there too. But oh my gosh, yeah. I, I yeah. mean, I can't wait to read the next one already. <laughs> yes. Yeah. Um, amazing. So, you know, I, I, I want to ask you a little bit about your process with writing all of this, you know, for yes. selfish reasons, because I mentioned to you that I'm in the middle of writing my memoir. Um, Fantastic. Which is, Congratulations. Is, thank you. You know, I, I don't yet have the level of like amazing, salacious stories. I want to, I'm going to probably, I'm going to make some up in there, but no, <laughs> <laughs> uh, it's a different, different story, different time, yeah. different experience. But um, I want to ask you about your process because I know from personal experience, you know, I heard you mention at the beginning how you, you spent all these years just really training as an actress to kind of, you know, heal and go through your stuff. And, yep. and I feel like I've spent God knows how long doing that myself. And yet, I found going into the belly of my memoir, like all kinds of stuff coming up. And I made this joke that memoir writing is 80% therapy, 20% procrastination. (laughs) (laughs) So tell me a little bit about your process and and how you unraveled this or unraveled if anything came up in the middle of it. Well, I was performing a solo show that I wrote off-Broadway. I did it, I guess I started about seven years ago writing it. 
It was called Secrets of a Holy Father, and it was my second solo show as an actor. The first one I had done, a, you know, another, I don't know, five, eight years prior. Um, this one, though, was me playing my father. So it literally was wow. a show of his life. I played a man, obviously, um, and only him. So I didn't play myself. I wasn't bouncing back and forth between his thoughts and my thoughts. I was him. And it was incredibly transformational on so many levels. And I had forgiven him. He had obviously passed, I don't know, five, four years prior. I think that the story between him and myself was so big. And yet there's so much else in my life that I had to explore first. There's so many other things which you'll You'll, your listeners will get when they read that I had to process like so many other crazy relationships, crazy situations, you know, trauma, frankly, that I had to sort through. I almost feel like my dad and I is sort of the last story, <laughs> you know, the last <laughs> big unraveling. But what what happened is having done that solo show, I wrote it from his perspective because I really wanted to understand him more and explore more, even though I had forgiven it wasn't about that, but it was about walking in his shoes. And how did he compartmentalize being such an authentically devout, committed Catholic with the fact that he was also inside of a, of a lifestyle that the church condemns? Mm-hmm. That in, its, in and of itself was a fascinating exploration to me. And I thought, well, if I play him, maybe I can get inside that. Maybe I can find him as a character. So that that organically, I think, led to the book. And then the book is, of course, written from my point of view. And it's actually written from my first person voice in my young adulthood. So 18 to like early 20s. So I sort of like did his version, even though his was a more expansive, like it ran his whole, almost his whole life, his whole adult life to death. But I got to explore him. And then this book sort of turned it around and I thought, okay, I'm ready now. I always thought I'd write a book because I knew my life was just so big. Um, Book worthy. Yeah. It just, you know, it's like if you're given, and I mean this in the best sense, if, if you're given a life like mine, that's this complicated, you know, in terms of childhood and moving into adulthood, I feel today, I didn't know this then, that it's almost a, a, a responsibility to share that back once you get on the other side of it. And I was on the other side of it um, for the most part long before I wrote the book. So that really helped me write it as, you know, shamelessly as I have. I love how you said that. It brought up, you know, it was almost like your relationship with your dad was almost secondary to the other relationships that it sort of forced you to explore and, and heal. And I love that you did that show in your dad's point of view, because I'm just thinking in myself, like what a, what a radical act of forgiveness to be able to really put yourself in the other person's shoes, literally to understand them. Yeah. Thank you. Thank you. That's, um, that's lovely to hear. And I, I, I think that that is exactly for me, what I felt in, in, in the end was absolutely no shame about really any of it. Like, Of course, you know, when we're younger, our parents are doing anything, you know, it's like whether he was men or if it was he was having an affair with a woman, it would have been the same thing. Right. It's like, oh, that's weird. That's uncomfortable. That's how do I make sense of this? And yet, you know, every child understands being uncomfortable on some level with their parents. It's just it's just being human. Having done that show, even the little things that maybe I thought I was okay with. I just explored every single 
you know, joyful to perverse to everything that by the time I was done, I just didn't, I, I don't have shame about it because why would I, A, it's his life and B, you know, it was his life to live. And yes, we can see mistakes and learn from them, but it's not my place to judge. You know, he's just a human being like me, you know, doing the best he could. And I think that's an obligation we have also as human beings is to see ourselves as, uh, excuse me, to see our parents as human beings, to get there, you know, not mm-hmm. as a kid, but yeah. to get there. And it's so freeing. So I think the process of the book is simply just getting to a place of freedom and knowing that if I just sort of lay out all of my behavior, which I do, I don't hold back on anything I've done, believe me, <laughs> any more than I do anybody, what anybody else did. Mm-hmm. So, and I think that I hope gives the reader a new sense of freedom to maybe put a mirror up to their own life, which beautiful. is really the point of the book. Yeah, beautifully said. Well, the last question that comes up for me, it's funny, it came up for me right at the beginning, um, even just reading through, you know, the book synopsis and your bio is, where are you now with your relationship to your faith? And how's that been affected? You know, I, I never sort of took to Catholicism in a traditional sense. I mean, even when I was young, like I just like mass was hard for me to get through. I just, I, I don't mm-hmm. know. I, I, you know, I, I, it was just hard, you know, and, and, you know, not just being a fidgety kid, but even, you know, even a young adult is like, it just didn't. And I don't know if my fluidity sexually and knowing where the church stood was, I'm sure that was part of it, but also even the hypocrisy at home, you know, even my dad's hypocrisy, I'm sure played a part in me and my distance or not quite getting it. So there's this person who's before I knew before 18 came along and I found out the truth, what I'm speaking of is even before that. So here's a man who, you know, is connected to the Pope. He's Sir John, he's, you know, knighted, he's, saying the rosary after dinner every night while we're all on our knees, you know, crucifixes all through the house, you know, here's this thing. And yet this is his behavior mm-hmm. in the sense of even how he was at home. So even me you know, making sense of that, I think that all affected my faith. But in terms of a more general sense of faith, I have deep faith. I, you know, I pray, I meditate, I, uh, I found my way through probably the deepest meditation through my yoga practice, which is very spiritual and uh, other forms of, you know, prayer and meditation. And so I, I have a great faith and I definitely believe that there's a greater power. And I bow to, you know, that part that lives in me that's bigger than my ego. And, you know, there's different ways I put words to it. But I think, uh, you know, my faith is absolutely a central part to my life. And I think service is an amazing gift my parents gave all of us because that is something they both were very committed to, that that is our, also a responsibility, you know, to give back. And I think all of my work as an actor, as a creative, has been about, yes, healing and um, exploring and imagination, but also remembering that, you know, actors, um, their only job is to give. And I think that should be true of writers. And if we hold that is a life model. I think, you know, life is supposed to be about service. Mm. Yeah, it was the the term that came to me as you were speaking is to, you know, allow allow creation to work through you in whatever yes. art form you have. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Exactly. 
Oh my gosh, beautiful. Tina, I, on a personal level, I could, as a memoirist, I could talk to you forever. Um, and I'm <laughs> sure the audience this. is like chewing their fingernails going, oh my God, what happens next? So uh, <laughs> I would encourage everyone to get over to the show notes, uh, find Tina's website. You can grab her book on Amazon. It's called Hiding Out, A Memoir of Drugs, Deception, and Double Lives by Tina Alexis Allen. Thank you so much for being on this show. It was such an honor to have you. Thank you so much and best of luck with your book. I know it's going to be great. Thank you so much. Thank you so much for tuning in and keep rising everyone. For books and resources related to today's episode, make sure you head over to SheRisesPodcast.com and I'll see you there. If you've enjoyed today's episode, make sure you tune back in next week when I dive into more juicy topics to help make your life the best it can be. And hey, if you've enjoyed listening to the show and you love it, head on over to iTunes and leave me a rate and review and subscribe there to the show. 